I would say that the combination of COVID and CCPA made it so that we needed to worry about privacy a lot more in terms of developing our different types of audiences for analysis and as well for targeting, because this is going to really directly influence who's applicable for targeting and the methods by which we target them on our different systems. Welcome to the Programmatic Digest podcast, where we cover top programmatic and digital news. I'm your host, Ellen Parker, your very own programmatic sensei. Thank you for joining us. And before we get into today's conversation, please do me those three small favors. Follow us on Apple iTunes and leave us a review. Like and comment on social media. We are currently on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and very soon to be on YouTube, y'all. And finally, sign up to the newsletter on the website, programmaticdigest.com. It sends you one reminder every new episode or once a month as a recap. Hi, Tyler. How are you? I'm doing well. Ellen, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been so flexible with this whole podcast scheduling. I appreciate you. For those who don't know who Tyler Bryant is, how about you introduce yourself and let us know who you are? Well, thank you for that kind plug, Ellen. So my name is Tyler Bryant, and I am the Digital Media Director at RPM Advertising in Chicago, Illinois. We specialize particularly within the travel vertical as well as highly regulated industries. Um, Many of our clientele are, in fact, in the brick-and-mortar casino vertical, um, but we also have a handful of other clients. For example, we produce a lot of the television commercials for Empire Today, if that's a brand that any of you all are familiar with. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are open to new client relationships, as always. So if there is anybody out there particularly looking for digital media solutions that are versatile, that can be connected to direct business outcomes Mm -hmm. for industries that are related to travel, related to highly regulated industries in particular, definitely please check out rpmadv.com. And we offer a variety of bespoke services. Mm -hmm. Um, And being the small agency that we are, we have an awful lot of flexibility, Mm -hmm. but we also have a deep history of success within our vertical. That is really cool. That's very cool. And all of the articles that we'll mention or topics that we'll mention today, I'll add that in our show notes. So all your information will be in our show notes as well, including the website. Before we started recording, you were telling us about your journey to where you are now. Can we just briefly highlight again how how we, because we both not started in a programmatic media realm and then ended here. Like I told you, I uh, started in like social, organic social media and hated that and then boost, boosted posting all of that jazz that's what I started doing as an intern and then did some marketing analysis and didn't like that that much and then ended up in programmatic media and it gave me a little bit of both world right and not the things that I didn't like about those two branches for me personally so tell us how you ended in um like briefly at RPM three years ago yeah sure absolutely so 
I had moved to Chicago with mm-hmm. my girlfriend at the time, who is actually now my wife. Uh, okay. She is a comedian. So mm-hmm. she was moving here to Chicago to pursue her comedy career. And I wanted to be here with her, of course. Yeah. So in order to do that, I went on LinkedIn, uh, where I lived in Chapel Hill. And I just applied like crazy for every entry level digital media position I could find until yeah. Ultimately, I found a temporary gig at a really large agency with some very cool clients um, that had the means and the capital to invest in over a dozen different DSPs. Gotcha. And I worked at a precision media team for them. Mm-hmm. So it was about 20 of us. And we were all recent college grads. <laughs> and so we were all pretty green in our media experience as mm-hmm. it was. And I don't necessarily know about you, Ellen, but in terms of my college background, programmatic was something that was literally not even said. I, it was not conceived in any of my college. And that was something that I found wasn't really the case in a, in a more global fashion in terms of uh, agencies are really investing in this yeah. programmatic thing. So there were about 20 of us on this precision media team, and we all have like various different backgrounds. I particularly had worked a lot in B2B analytics, uh, particularly before I came to Chicago. Okay. So I started working at that agency for a relatively short period of time before I was actually approached by the agency and client here in Chicago for an international aerospace company that has its hands in a lot of different verticals from commercial aerospace to space and defense. Mm -hmm. And at that time, this company was trying to shorten the path to communication and their biddable media relationships, especially as it pertained to programmatic media. As I understood it, had kind of a line of relationships where it was client to agency to smaller agency to vendor who and then the vendor would have sub vendors within there and for this particular client you know brand safety was a hugely relevant issue yeah so they would constantly have to turn on and off campaigns at the, the drop of a dime essentially based on worldwide events and external variables that they have of course have no control over So, with that, I actually left that temporary position to go start a more direct programmatic relationship for this aerospace client. Gotcha. And I was client side in a lot of capacities, but I also Mm -hmm. worked within a pod of other people who were doing social media and paid search and everything from there. But I used a lot of my time to actually lead this brand safety study and where I use pre-bid and post-bid analysis in order to recommend different vendors. And the two at the time that we were really testing heavily and investing deeply in their products and all of their tagging solutions mm-hmm. was uh, IAS, Integral Ad Science, and Double yep. Verify. Yeah, uh, yeah, two yeah. leaders of the industry today. And in fact, now they have a little bit more direct competition with Moat. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But at that time, they really were kind of the two hands down, hands down players, hands down, hands down players <laughs> in the uh, in the programmatic space. 
So that's a great that's a great segue into the topics that we're going to discuss. So I know that in our industry, there's a lot of top news that's happening. I mean, obviously, COVID-19 did impact some of our media buying and media buys and with ads spend, particularly. And um, the topic that I really wanted to pick your brain on is how to look at a vendor or a DSP or any programmatic partner that any of you listeners are considering either working with or currently working with. Because in our industry, we get really really excited about the latest technology and then we try it sometimes and then we end up having 10, 15 partners. Um, I mean, there's different level of partnership, right? There's like the direct partnership. Like sometimes you just have to like traveling agencies uh, that only offer sometimes Pandora buying direct is better than buying via another DSP, for instance. Mm -hmm. So in your case, because I see, I hear that you've worked with multiple DSP before, multiple vendors. How has the last year affected any of your clients, especially in your industry? Because you mentioned that the vertical that you're working on is very, you know, is very strict, is very restricted. Sorry. So tell us a little bit about how one to look at multiple DSPs, if so, if when, and then any additional vendors, partners. Sure thing. So I will say, going into the year 2020, the working with the casino industry in particular, something that we were already on edge about, frankly, as an industry, just in digital marketing, but particularly within our own vertical, was the enactment of the CCPA or the California Consumer Protection Act. And that piece of legislation really had some interesting implication on how casinos do a lot of their marketing. A lot of their efforts are focused on bringing people to a website and getting them to log in. So these users can ultimately have loyalty profiles and loyalty points that we would use to create advertising subgroups or perhaps not even advertising subgroups, but pure analytical reporting subgroups uh, of different types of cohorts, depending on the analysis that we're trying to conduct. Okay. So with that being said, what we would end up doing is trying to consolidate a lot of our efforts by using just like a single DSP solution and and just really trying to not spread ourselves too thin because at first our most salient concern was for a lot of these clients, they are regional in scope. So they're not going international to target people. Yeah. And so you really need to worry about cannibalization that mm -hmm. would occur when you're running similar media types and similar markets. So I would say that the combination of COVID and CCPA made it so that we needed to worry about privacy a lot more in terms of developing our different types of audiences for analysis and as well for targeting, because this is going to really directly influence who's applicable for targeting and the methods by which we target them on our different systems. And we also need to make sure that our clients have CMPs or consent management platforms to uh, help manage the actual opting out capability yeah. of consumers that might be in California. So we were already on edge about CCPA <laughs> and then COVID came around and that 
affected the casino industry pretty heavily. Uh, oh, I can't as you can yeah. imagine, yeah. most of them had to close their doors in the immediate wake. <laughs> I had actually uh, a personal caveat. I had actually gotten married to my wife in Jamaica on March 8th of 2020. Oh, wow. Um, and I had not even heard of COVID when uh -huh. we had left for our wedding. And it was literally like the night of our after we had gotten married we like turned on the tv and the hotel room and it was mm -hmm. just everywhere and i barely even heard of this disease so i came back to wow. work <laughs> not really thinking about covid at all i was still in this mindset of okay are we in this place to adhere to ccpa and to follow all of these new restrictions that we have for targeting not only for our programmatic media but ultimately for our paid social and paid search and any other channel as well and then covid came along and a lot of our advertising spend slowed down uh -huh. and then this interesting phenomenon seemed to happen within our industry where because a lot of these properties were closing down at mm -hmm. the same time you all of a sudden had this huge pool of people all around the country who were experienced in the casino vertical experienced working for hotel casino resorts mm -hmm. that were ultimately displaced by covid a lot yeah. of these people were just let go from their jobs instead of being retained. Um, so what has happened over the past six months in particular is that we've seen a resurgence of not only reopenings for a lot of these properties, but these properties are really investing heavily in awareness to make sure that their clients our awareness. Okay. So re-engaging with the consumer, letting them know that, hey, even though we might not be fully back to normal, if we ever go back to normal or our doors may not be reopened 100%, but we're still here. So talk to us about that, that system that's in place at RPM within your team that allows your team to decide on which partner went and how much. Right. And you don't have to give me a number, but approximately how do you um, unless you really want to give us a number, that would be great. But <laughs> <laughs> don't want to get anybody in trouble. So I could tell you, but I'd have to kill you. No, I'm just, yeah. um, just just break it down to us a little bit more in details on how your team was able to pull some of those clients out of that hole and right. still be successful. Right. Absolutely. Uh, kind of where I was even going with the last point, too, right. was that with the onset of COVID mm -hmm. um, and really with the onset of these properties reopening after COVID, there was a lot of awareness media. And with awareness media, uh, mm -hmm. we try to generally look at having a variety of channels or completely owning one channel. Um, so with that being said, each of our clients have a different approach. And that's really the first thing that you need to prioritize when evaluating any particular DSP relationship before gotcha. even deciding how many DSP relationships to have mm -hmm. is to make sure that the strengths of the particular platform actually mm -hmm. line up with what your client is looking for. Uh, in our example, we had a number of clients that were looking to activate programmatic connected TV as well as programmatic streaming audio. And this was really important to add to our programmatic media mix because we wanted to make sure that we were not only getting the fish instead of the pond. And what I'm trying to say by that analogy is instead of trying to capture the entire channel, we really wanted to selectively use our budget 
to focus on users with the highest propensity to convert, whether that was using our own first party data or whether that was using third party data to come to that consensus. Right. We individually are serving those people a variety of messages in different formats so that they have a longer opportunity for a path to conversion. Mm -hmm. Something that was frankly a little bit less emphasized prior to COVID because yeah. after COVID, we really needed to make sure that we followed the same, the kind of top 20% of loyal users as much as possible in their journey. So what many of our clients ended up prioritizing was having a variety of inventory across a lot of media environments and also having strong and granular data with which to target people. Okay. And that led us to a handful of DSPs, one in particular that I can say has been really helpful across many of these clients has been the trade desk. Yeah. Uh, they really have not only enabled us to activate programmatic streaming audio and programmatic connected TV, mm -hmm. uh, which includes previously walled gardens such as Hulu, we're running, you know, PMPs through there. Yeah. Um, but what also occurs is that with the trade desk, we can run programmatic digital out of home campaigns. Yeah. And that's kind of a prioritize that though with key height times of traffic. For example, we might see the best CPMs at like nine to midnight for any given market that we're showing an ad on like yeah. a big billboard or something like that or a, a uh -huh. mall screen. Well, of course, those impressions are going to be less expensive because they're not being shown during a time of high traffic. Right. So as much as we want to optimize for impression efficiency and as much as we want to try to minimize CPMs, we don't want to do that at the expense of sacrificing the ability to show impressions at high in-demand times of traffic. So by programmatically trafficking this digital out-of-home media... Programmatic should have been a drinking game word here, or drinking yeah. word. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, you know, they call it the digest for a reason, I guess. But uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we target individuals rather than right. just trying to go for the whole channel. So you look at you look at the DSP as a true partner, you know, no pun intended here, like as a true partner, be like you mentioned somebody like the trade desk, uh, they, they do make it things efficient and convenient because they're able to offer different media channels within one spot. So for an industry like yourself or vertical like yourself, that's very restricted. That makes things very efficient because you can utilize right. that one. Right, exactly. You mentioned even out of home, um, you mentioned CTV, all of those are upper funnel um strategies right they're exactly. top of the strategies it's still something even though they might not offer the same level of measurement or capabilities in measurement specifically Correct. for audio and and at a home here they're still very important and i just wanted to highlight that for our listeners because even though like i think in the last year we're we've become better at with messaging, some brands at least have become very intentional in their messaging mm -hmm. and the way they connect to their consumers on different levels and uh, being able to understand how you're targeting that audience 
on these channels with the respective message is super important. So I know you mentioned the trade desk and I actually wanted to bring this article up. Uh, okay, so it's uh, from Gartner, and you say you meant yes. you you used something similar. What was it? Q two row two. Uh, G two dot com. Q two row two. Yeah. So, and this was something again. <laughs> I had no idea it even existed before I got into programmatic media in particular, uh-huh. and then all of a sudden I felt like I'm some sort of computer programmer, like Hacker Man in the movies, typing in. <laughs> cool technology companies when I first started in programmatic media, which is how, you know, I first kind of caught myself up with all these different DSPs because I was really just thrown into the mix when I first was introduced with programmatic media. I didn't know what the heck it was. So I had to research everything fervently and do a lot of my own education because it was trial by fire. Yeah, um, yeah, that's 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 real. I know a lot of people in your situations and still are in your situation. Like I was as my programmatic media journey started at an agency called Seventh Point. They're also they've closed doors now. Um, but I was actually lucky to have an amazing manager at that time. His name is Gabriel Cohen. He's actually a good friend of mine, and he he was just on the podcast a couple of weeks ago talking about CTV. He's now at SpotX in Chicago, by the way. Okay, yeah. Um, so he had a great partnership with the tree desk and the tree desk really took care of like educating us and training us. That's why I like to say on the podcast that I'm very biased with the tree desk because the experience I had back in 2015 was an amazing experience. And I owe most of the initial education to them. So coming back to the article, this is from Gartner, which is a peer reviewing company. I'm going to say so. Uh, I believe they send out surveys and um, they have different level of customization questions, but also they review each question internally. They have system, et cetera. So the trade desk um, send us that because I received their newsletter and yep. three of those articles. And again, I'll add it on the show notes here. So one of the article was just pure insight, voice of the customer, like the ad tech, which of these ad tech are not only the most popular, but the most. Um, oh, the magic quadrant. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Yeah. Magic quadrant. <laughs> it's, a, it's such a fantastic name, isn't it? Magic Quadrant. Yeah, okay. So the Magic Quadrant of AdTech. So (laughs) amid a perfect storm of adversity in advertising markets, 74% of marketers optimistically expect to increase spending on digital advertising in the next 12 months. This is great. But then again, this article was posted uh, in September 2020, but still, we're still within that 12 month. Uh, It evaluated... 14 key ad tech vendors as part of the advertising reboot. So part of the things they were, I guess, graded on were targeting capabilities, campaign design, the media buying aspect, analysis, optimization, automation. And when you see a quadrant, so just imagine like a square divided in four, tops are challengers, top left challengers, top right leaders, bottom left niche players, mm. bottom uh, right visionaries. And so Google, the trade desk, Mobi, Adobe, Media Math, Adforms are all leaders of the industry. The challengers are the Amazon, Criteo, the, Z- the Xander, sorry, and the yeah. Centro. Now I was very surprised to find uh, Media Ocean and Beeswax as vis- as visionaries. Particularly now, Media Ocean. I had used a few of their programs, but uh-huh. never like their DSP. 
I use something called Prisma that actually yeah. integrates directly with DSPs for billing purposes. Yeah. But furthermore, in July of 2020, I know that MediaOcean purchased 4C. Uh, 4C Insights is an awesome paid social tool that I was actually using at the same time when I started my programmatic career on the Precision Media team that mm -hmm. actually allows you to emulate a lot of programmatic tactics in a paid social media environment. And I remembered that the targeting platforms, this was back in 2016, mm -hmm. were pretty ahead of their time. It was oh, wow. essentially like reskinning the API of all these different paid social platforms like Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, and Facebook. Yeah. And it would pile on additional third-party audiences and capabilities. I remember one thing 4C offered, uh, likely still does offer to this day, is mm -hmm. weather-triggered targeting for social media oh. campaigns, which okay. is something that is, to my knowledge, not a standard offering within the platform for uh, Facebook Ads Manager or for yeah. Twitter ads or LinkedIn ads or what have you. So MediaOcean, they've really been innovating in a lot of related spaces, what I might call ancillary spaces to programmatic as far as I was aware. But in terms of an actual DSP itself, I am not familiar with it at all. Gotcha, um, yeah. I will say beeswax, I have had the opportunity of using a little, of demoing, of mm -hmm. vetting. I've actually gotten to speak briefly with the CEO of beeswax, Ari Paparo, mm -hmm. Um, as well as a few other people on the team over there. And that DSP really does impress me. I will say, and this article sums it up, I really agree strongly with 90% of the findings that they make about the different DSPs. But mm -hmm. I think they really hit the nail on the head about beeswax and that it's this great deep platform that's engineered to give people not only a lot more control over the targeting, but a lot more visibility and insight into the measurement than an average DSP would right. give you. And I think at that time, you could even like access the log files to beeswax yourself, which yeah. for larger DSPs like the trade desk, that's a little taboo to even ask for. But it's definitely, and the article makes this point as well, it's definitely not for novices. And yeah. I have to think as the digital media director at my agency, yeah. yes, I might feel comfortable using beeswax. But to be candid with you, I thought the trade desk in terms of DSPs already had kind of a high learning curve. I thought a Mobi has kind of a high learning curve, but I didn't want to introduce something like beeswax, which I think, frankly, could have an even higher learning curve, even though the offering is so sophisticated and I really was so impressed with it. I have to also think about what's feasible for if for the team. it's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because there's a learning curve for beeswax. I mean, I haven't used beeswax, but I know um, an agency that does and the feedback has been nothing but positive, but there's like a lot of integration involved. But once you integrate, I mean... You, you're very, very much empowered with a lot. So it's such a powerful tool, but you have to account for that investment, which are, is time or training from your, your team, learning curves from the client, because you'll have to introduce a different language almost. So in MediaOcean, I've only used it uh, with Prisma, via Prisma, which was just for trafficking purposes at, uh, for a client last year. 
But yeah, I, I thought it was very interesting that Amazon, I, I believe that I agree with Amazon being a challenger. I think they're yeah, I did too. disrupting stuff. I was very surprised by Zeta. I actually don't know Zeta. I don't know. Okay. I'm relieved to hear you say that because I've never heard of Zeta Global <laughs> at all. I don't know anything about them. And I, yeah. I hope that we're not just all sleeping on Zeta Global. Right. Let, watch them come back next year. Um, Might be Zeta's yeah. Globe and we're all living in it. <laughs> and we just don't know. So that was one of the article. Uh, and again, I'll add it in the show notes. So that was a magic quadrant. Um, the other two were similarly to that one, except it just uh, one was analyzing uh, critical, the capabilities for each ad text. And the third one was, again, on a customer level, how do they rank those ad tech? <laughs> it's very interesting, like the repeat offenders for all of those, you know, the trade desk is in the high SC4C in one of them as a customer's choice. I was, there were a handful of DSPs. I was really surprised to not see in any of these articles. And I, I took oh, notes really? on this. Which yeah, one? like particularly, okay, like, and I hate to backtrack too much but like i really <laughs> did like this gardner article with a nice graphic here because these are pretty with the exception of zeta global and to be honest with you ad form uh, i don't really know anything about ad form either but all the rest of these on here i've had not only some experience or i guess varying levels of experience with all the mm -hmm. rest of these but i i really agree with the analysis and with the kind of value differentiators for the pros and cons for each one of these DSPs. And on the whole, I really agree with the positioning, but mm -hmm. I wrote down this list of a handful of DSPs that I was really surprised to not see on here. And the first DSP that I was really surprised to not even see on this list was Adelphic. Is that one you're familiar oh, with? I'm definitely familiar. I've ran a couple of campaigns in Adelphic because I think the Adelphic used to be mobile focused and they just opened they up. They repositioned. They repositioned. I think that's why we haven't heard of them as much, but we shouldn't sleep on them. So I went to an event that they had in like the middle, I think it was the summer of 2019, maybe the fall of 2019. And to your point, when I was using them, they were like the mobile DSP essentially, which I actually thought at that time was really yes. strong positioning. And I was really <laughs> surprised to see them pivot. Um, but I went to this event and pretty much the whole event and all of the emails about that DSP that I've mm -hmm. gotten on a promotional basis since uh, really seem to be much more focused on the CTV and OTT space, which gotcha. I think is smart positioning in a way because that market obviously is growing and CPMs, at least in my experience, have been yeah. kind of skyrocketing throughout coronavirus yeah. in particularly. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, there are a lot of, they're certainly not the first DSP to have the idea to go heavily into the CTV OTT space. Yeah. Um, and they certainly have plenty of competition there. They're owned by Viant and Meredith. And I always saw great performance with Adelphic when yeah. I yeah, used yeah. it. Um, and it made me, I guess, a little bit surprised to not see it on this list. I will say, though, to your point, Ellen, that because they've kind of pivoted it seems like it would make sense that maybe they wouldn't be as relevant for a graphic such as this because mm -hmm. they're still trying to, I guess, gain their place or establish 
their all of their media yeah. foothold and relationships within that space. From what I understand, though, they're already doing a great job of not only integrating CTV and OTT media, yeah. but they have yeah. a ton of CTV OTT data, including ACR, which is the kind of stuff that I talk to people about automatic content recognition. And that's the kind of stuff that will creep people out if they're not familiar with digital advertising. Um, yeah. But that's something that Adelphic does really well. Yeah. Um, you know, another DSP too, I guess it's not, I don't know if they're traditional DSP mm-hmm. setup, but flash talking is dynamic. Yes. Yeah, so so I saw ad form, but we didn't see flash talking, which is interesting to me because I've worked with flash talking more than ad form. So I'm not sure if, I don't even know if we should compare them. So please, if anyone is listening out there and saying how they're sheeted, compare them. Give me a call. Let's just talk about it. <laughs> Educate me. This is why we did, this is why we're talking like that. Because we've both used almost all of those DSPs and we do have preference, but it's not because we like the colors of the DSP. They all are blue, white, or gray. Let's be honest. Like all of them. It's not like anything aesthetic. It's more, what is that technology doing for us? Is the investment worth it in terms of financial investment and time investment? And that, again, that learning curve. Not to throw shade, but there's one of these DSPs on this list that I feel like, to your point, Ellen, they put a lot of effort putting pretty colors and fancy (laughs) buttons into their DSP. And it makes me wish they put the uh, same effort in developing more of their tactics. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, ah, I'm not gonna call out nobody, but um, yeah. I yeah, have... no, I'm not gonna name names, but uh, I think that point though just speaks to the idea that you're right. It's not the aesthetics of any of these platforms, and it's really not even the UI itself, but it's generally the capabilities and how those capabilities are powered and just to what degree, how sophisticated are those capabilities? You know, something else that I like about the Trade Desk, for example, a lot is that they might not necessarily have a ton of targeting capabilities that other DSPs don't have, But because they're not owned by a large media conglomerate, you don't really ever have to worry about any algorithmic programming or any bidding tendency to go toward the same entities that uh, own the media that also own the DSP. And, you know, again, not to throw shade, but I know some DSPs on here, you can see that they tend to favor media that they own. And that's not a bad thing that just I mean, positions them what? more specifically. Google. Google is one of them. I mean, we, I use that's Google what every day. I was mostly thinking, but I, yeah. Google is like a big, <laughs> it's very, very arbitrary. But, uh, well, it's a popular DSP and um, it does it does work well. And look, they have a lot of inventory. They, they, have, they, they have categorize data. it pretty well. I'm not trying to knock Google. And in fact, I use a ton of DV360. I think they do oh, yeah. a lot of things Same. really well. And especially Same. going forward into the era of cookie deprecation, their yeah. contextual solutions, I think, are going to become a lot more valuable because some of the audiences that made me as an advertiser really attracted to the trade desk at first, I notice are beginning to 
consolidate. And as that data collection methodology changes in order to meet the demands of this cookie deprecation, I think it's going to make DSPs that value the actual data and the user level audience lists perhaps a little bit less valuable. And other DSPs that emphasize contextual like DD360 or like Amobi or like Centro, you know, Mm -hmm. those three in my experience are really positioned well for contextual advertising. And it's not necessarily a bad thing that some of those, um, and again, not all three of those is that the case for, but some of those Mm -hmm. might have media allegiances, which is why they're able to perform as well as they do. Yeah, I totally agree. Oh, man, we can talk about this a a lot more. And again, those three articles are from Gartner.com, which is peer-reviewed platform. And um, if you are trying to reassess, this is the time to look at your vendors and your partners and assess if this is a good investment in my time and in my my client's dollar, media dollar, because as we move into a cookie-less world, which again, we might not in the next year and a half, okay? Like, let's say by end of next year, who who knows? This is the time, though, to evaluate those partnerships because it takes time. You're probably going to have trials and, and error. You're going to have some triumphs here, but it's not going to be client friendly, you know. So these articles are very helpful. And some of them were published September 2020, July 2020. I still think it's very, very relevant. Oh, of um, course. One of them is like 45 minutes long read, but I think it's because they added a lot of sexy graphs. Um, just uh, <laughs> just ranking some of those DSP, some of those partners. So take your time reviewing those. I mean, I'm still reviewing them as well as that we were like talking. Like, there's a lot of great information, but I think it'll be really helpful for anyone in the industry reassessing their media strategy, which you will have to eventually in the next year do so. Um, now, if you have an excellent partner, they'll probably do that before for you, and that's great. That's less work for you um but yeah this is this is the time to continue talking about it so we really appreciate you stopping by today and talking um all things ad tech vendors partners uh dsp and before we close i just like to ask give us three things that you do every day that helps you just stay center that helps you just stay mindful i mean we work from home we we see the screens very often uh i have guests on the show that says the first thing i do is step outside and breathe the fresh air even though it's a crisp negative x in my city you know um or i had other people say i just enjoy a cappuccino or i enjoy cooking like i force myself to cook every night i'm I'm gonna be honest with you ellen I'm okay, one thing. gonna answer this, <laughs> but I'm gonna make a caveat. I'm probably like one of the worst people to ask because <laughs> I'm kind of losing my mind during oh, no. <laughs> COVID. So take this all with a grain of salt because these are things that I do every day with the intention yeah. of being mindful and centered. <laughs> do they work? Maybe not. So. <laughs> okay. The first thing that I do every day is I drink an iced coffee, at least one iced coffee every day. I, I love the the velvety, smooth, creamy, rich taste. And by the way, if there's any iced coffee companies out there, um, I'm free just to let you know. Um, <laughs> Looking for sponsorship. Okay, you heard it here first. <laughs> 
Um, but no, like I like to drink coffee quickly in the morning. So that's uh, that's like this weird thing that, frankly, I'm a little addicted to the iced coffee, if I'm going to be real with you. But it's something that I do every day to be centered. Oh, mm-hmm. um, I am a person, you know, I have some friends who can like watch old movies and listen to old music mm-hmm. like all day long. And I am the extreme opposite. I am someone who like, I need to watch the news or listen and really never watch it. I I listen to it as it Uh plays on a TV in the background. That really helps me remember that particularly when I'm working in this digital media world where everything is always of the utmost importance and there's a lot of stresses and a lot of changes to adapt to constantly yeah i find that it's nice to remember that there's a world outside of the office or there's a world outside of you know this campaign that i'm working on and which all this other stuff is going on and it makes me really feel connected so i like to watch the news drink my iced coffee and uh most definitely going to be not a popular thing watching the news i stay away from that like i'm that person i'm just news fatigue um so we try our best to just read the news maybe five minutes every day and then tap it there you know what you know what's spooky i want to ask you this ellen (laughs) have you ever because this happened to me once Uh and it spooked me have you ever been served a ctv ad for a campaign that you're running Oh, yeah. All the time. Not uh, not a retargeted one, though. Just like a contextual or just like a, a general direct buy, just like a uh, a guaranteed buy. Um, I don't know if I can say that. Um... I just know. I know there was this one instance in where like we had a client that bought not a lot of national impressions and I happened to be at a bar and I saw one of the like 50,000 impressions that we bought for this client nationwide. And I was like, no way I did that. And that, that was a <laughs> yeah. cathartic feeling. I, and I uh, do have to say that whenever I, we see one of the brands that I represent or I work with on TV, anywhere, we're like, even on like a billboard and like, Oh, look, my clients, not my billboard, but it's my client. Yeah, it's exciting. There's a sense of pride in it. I, I would agree that whenever I see that too, I'm, I'm really like excited. I'll take screenshots. I probably have a thousands of screenshots of clients I work with. Most often it's a, it's a display banner or HTML banner or, or pre-roll, yeah. like the CTV. Harder to uh, I, I definitely like have gotten, that's actually, I think something that maybe led to me becoming more interested in digital advertising in general is of seeing my ads like getting those like preview links or whatever whether it be on paid social Mm -hmm. or within a strictly programmatic context and (laughs) actually seeing the ad as it's being served to people and knowing like whoa like i did that and like thousands or people are going to see this maybe millions of people are going to see this that's real that's and, you know, and today, you know, I'm doing it while I'm wearing my pajama pants in the living room <laughs> and I'm serving an ad to 10,000 people. Yeah, that's real. It just shows the magic of the industry we work in. So and that's why I'm really grateful for what we do. We are able to I, I really enjoy what I do. Like, do you ever try to explain all the programmatic time. to your All relatives? the time. 
for until until I was able to come across uh, another podcast in French because my first language is French. My dad did not know what I was doing. He would say, "I think she targets yeah, people yeah. with ad," and I'm like, "Definitely ad, ad, dad. I don't target people. I target with a message." <laughs> um, but now he's more like, "Oh, is that what you do? That's really cool." So I yeah. all these years, uh, they all know I'm like in paid advertising, paid digital, and I sometimes do the Facebook or the Google, but um, yeah. yeah. That's so funny. That's it. Sounds just like my parents. My parents, yeah. I think, are still not quite to a place yet where they understand that I'm not the one making the ad. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not, no, I'm not. I'm not making the ad. I'm just positioning the message. I'm not right. creating that message. I can. Create I'm deciding that. where it goes. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And on that note, I think that's a good segue into like. Um, I mean, I'm not a segue, I'm sorry. That's a good way to end the conversation because I feel like we could talk about this over and over and I want to be mindful of your time. So I so appreciate you coming again. Ellen, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And I just got to tell you, I've been loving listening to the last several episodes and I've been shooting some links already to uh, my coworkers. Um, obviously, I'm really excited for this to go on air, but uh I want to thank you for doing what you do and really representing the trade in the, the area where I'm from so well. So it's yes. cool. Yeah, thank you so much. And, you know, this is what it's all about. And um, eventually this video will be on YouTube. So when that goes up, I'll, I'll make sure to share with you. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Thank you so much and have a good evening. All right. Well, take care. Alan. Thank you so much for joining the conversation and we hope you enjoyed it. Please do us three small favors. Follow us on Apple iTunes and leave us a review. Like and comment on all social media. Sign up to our newsletter on the website, programmaticdigest.com, which sends you one reminder every new episode or once a month as a recap. For any articles, topics, and the guest information, you can find it in the show notes on our website, programmaticdigest.com. Thank you and stay curious, my friend. 